And good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. Good evening, Moniz. How's it going? It's going spooktacular, as always. And uh, welcome to the show, where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And you can also watch us on ManyCam and Ustream through our Spooky TV application on SpookySouthCoast.com. So what I like about that is, you know, the the more we try to... The, the more we try to fancy that up, the more it kind of slaps us in the face sometimes. It says, no, you can't do that. I noticed. Uh, that, you know, but that's what happens when you're when you're trying to make the technology use what you want it to do. See, that's the thing is, you know, we started doing this show originally. We didn't even have streaming. There was no web streaming, no no live audio streaming. So that's how long ago we started doing this show. And so we've gone you know we've always tried to be cutting edge we used to do our own live audio stream over the internet which would involve uh, myself being here before i really knew how to press any of the buttons when it was matt costa's job to press all the buttons he would do all of that and he would set it all up so that it was foolproof so that i couldn't mess it up then he would drive back to wareham to my house go into my office in my house and turn on the radio that we had in there and then put a microphone up against that, which was streaming over the Internet. And then he would fly back here by the time there was the first commercial break because I couldn't go to the break. I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> so all I could do was just make sure that, like, it stayed on the air. And so that's how we started off doing the live stream back in the day. We were the first show to ever podcast out of here, uh, right from the first episode. And then we brought in the live streaming. And, and so now we've brought in the video streaming. And we're trying to, you know, keep finding new and different ways to... Uh, make the show interesting for people to watch on Saturday nights. And uh, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. The computer tonight, my computer, I should stress, it's it's our own spooky South Coast equipment, uh, was having some compatibility issues with the Ustream and the ManyCam together, which it does sometimes. Updates. Those really can get you. But the plan is, the station is working on installing all this stuff themselves, so that we don't have to set all the stuff up. So it'll be here all the time. And then we'll just come in, and we'll do the show, and it'll be like we don't even notice that it's going on and working smoothly around us. So it'll be forthcoming. That's actually not a bad idea for the studio itself because all the other shows will only benefit from it. That's you know that's the way that it's going now. People like to see the inside. I think ever since they started putting Howard Stern on TV and I Miss on TV, people want to see the behind-the-scenes stuff of what's going on. So they want to see, and they've for some reason they've always wanted to see the behind-the-scenes of this, but we started doing it, in all honesty, <laughs> so that people would tune in live on Saturday nights around the world. You know, we, we have a great local audience. We love our local audience, but this show has gone worldwide over the last 10 years. We have listeners all over the place, and sometimes they're you know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning where they are when we're on, or they just choose to listen by podcast anyway. So Spooky TV is the experience of getting to see the show live. We're big in Kazakhstan. But then we put it up on YouTube anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I, lo- I love it. I love it when everything works seamlessly and smoothly, and I think it's doing that tonight. You know what the difference is? Is because I set it up now. When Matt Costa set it up, everything worked great. <laughs> but now that I set it up, because he works Saturday nights... We have problems. And you would think because, you know, the equipment comes home with me, the the spooky South Coast laptop, the cameras, all that stuff comes you think I would practice or something during the week. But no. If you opened it up in 
fired the computer up every once in a while. Well, I do. I use it for work. I just I didn't have any work this week. So I did, well, actually I did, but I did it all the way back at the beginning of the week. So I didn't actually use it. Normally I use that computer every day, so I'm always staying up ahead of the updates. But I didn't do that this week. But that's okay. We we are totally off topic right now, talking about the setup of the show instead of the actual show itself. And we are here, as I said, to talk about the paranormal and the strange, the unusual, and that encompasses a wide variety of topics. Now, we don't always cover that wide variety of topics. Sometimes I think that we tend to be a little bit ghost-heavy, which is, you know, that's kind of what the audience wants. They, they, We have a very heavy emphasis on the interest in ghosts and hauntings across our audience, but there's other topics that interest them as well. And, and one of the topics that people always want to find out more about are, are cryptids, and, and especially Bigfoot, now that Bigfoot has become a pop culture phenomenon once again. You know, I remember back in the... Well, not that I remember, but I know that back in the 70s, he was a big pop culture icon for a little while. And, you know, there was little glimpses of it during the 80s, but Bigfoot has made a big comeback. And, and it's something that it has become part of the paranormal television landscape. There's numerous shows out there now where people are out looking for Bigfoot. And you have the chance to hang out with some of the people today from one of the organizations uh, that is known for Bigfoot research these days, one of the organizations that is on the forefront of this. Uh, so why don't you tell everybody kind of what, what you were doing today? Yeah, I was hanging out with uh, David McLaughlin and um, a, another friend, uh, Tim. And uh, they're both from the BFRO. And they are getting a number of reports coming into the southeastern Massachusetts region. And uh, I wound up with a handful myself, so I submitted up to them. And uh, Tim Vogel, who is actually one of their field investigators, and he's a wilderness guy that runs a, you know, um, like an outdoors adventure group. And, mm-hmm. you know, he worked as a ranger and stuff like that. He came down with uh, Dave, who I who is my contact in the BFRO, and we investigated uh, one of the uh, sites and found that there is more than enough uh, biological material in terms of food and water and stuff for a uh, a large hominid to survive out in this area. Actually, uh, Tim was quite impressed with the amount of uh, food stuffs that could be had, and. Uh, we checked for, you know, other signs and found a couple of interesting tree structures that are similar to stuff that's been found elsewhere. And just for giggles, we tried to do some wood knocks and vocalizations. Well, I watched them do it. I, I really don't, you know, know the calls and stuff that they, they would normally use. And they started doing some stuff and off in the distance. We all three of us heard a reply, and uh, they're going to be talking to various other uh, people in the BFRO, and they're going to try and organize for spring uh, a little research out into the area known as Rocky Gutter, which is a wildlife management area. Which is uh, you, I, mean, I know you're familiar with it, Tim. I know what you're talking about. I didn't know the name, but I knew what you're talking about. I knew the area. Uh, now. We did have a caller that was calling in, and if anybody wants to call in during the show, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. But we've talked a lot over the years about how to 
investigate for the presence of ghosts or, or maybe to disprove the presence of ghosts. We've talked about how you have worked as a UFO researcher and how you look for signs that there has been some sort of UFO activity in the area. What type of things do you look for when you are investigating for a Bigfoot or any type of mysterious creature that has been sighted in the area? What, what, what are some of the signs that there has been something around? What are you looking for? Well, with Bigfoot, one of the key things that you have to look for is what is available in the habitat for a potential creature like this to exist. Is there enough water in the area for an animal that large to survive? Is there enough food materials? Is there shelter that it can uh, take? And if it doesn't have any one of those key ingredients, chances are you're not looking at you know, a good spot for it to reside in. And like I said, where we were looking in the areas definitely had it in abundance, especially water because my feet are still feel waterlogged. So now you're walking around, you're looking, you're seeing where this stuff might be, uh, you know, these different resources that it would need to survive. And then you look at an area and you say, okay, this area looks like it could sustain a creature like this. Uh, or multiple creatures like this. So now that we know that it's possible that it could be in the area, then what's the next step that you're looking for? What's the next? Uh, what are some of the other signs of evidence that there might be such a creature around? One of the other things that you look for is they have, according to the guys in the BFRO, a number of signs that they leave behind, like like what we would use as road signs, and it has to do with the way that they mark their territory using trees and other various uh, products that are found in the uh, swamps and forests. They turn, you know, branches and small trees in certain ways that show that, okay, this is a direction, this is a boundary. They'll make these... um, They, like, physically manipulate the environment. Oh, yeah, they definitely physically manipulate the the environment according to these researchers. They showed me a number of different photographs of stuff, and as we were walking around, uh, we found, hey, you know that... Is that what you're talking about? And they're like, yeah, (laughs) this is exactly like trees. You know, if you walk through the woods, the wind and nature will do things to trees and that like, how does that happen? And and uh, Tim was very, very knowledgeable about this, but this is what he does for a living. He he's an outdoorsman. He, He works out in the outdoors so you can probably tell by looking at what's happened, you know, which type of animal might have come through and made that type of right. Um, you know, left that type of a path. Or or a storm does this to these, you know, to trees and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that they say that it will do to mark its territory will take a, a small tree and bend it and twist it in a certain manner to show a direction. You know, nature will snap a tree. Right. You know, it, you know it, it'll it's break like, it. It's not turning it around and right. turning it into an arrow. Or, or yeah, like taking it. Uh, say about six to eight foot, bending it down and twisting it. Uh, if if a tree's being knocked over, it's you know just 
Over. So you're talking an actual tree, not like not not brush, not not plants. brush. You're not talking brush. full out trees. Well, I'm talking trees, you know, two to three inches in diameter. Something you and I are not going to break and twist. Right. It, I know because is... I've had to try sometimes, like <laughs> when we get cars and trucks stuck out in the woods. And yeah. Like, Just bend that tree, and we'll be able to get by. Yeah, yeah. We had that good experience, but hmm. yeah. And I can show you some pictures of uh, when we went out, and it definitely is like, okay, this is not normal. It doesn't come down, twist, turn around, and re-wrap around. That takes something with hands to mm. re-wrap it around. And strength. Tree. Yeah. Lots of strength. Because these things are, you're talking small oak trees that are still green, that are about two inches to three inches in diameter to be snapped and twisted around. So this is something that you you have researched in the past, but normally it's not, you know, it's... Uh, you wouldn't say that it's in your wheelhouse of things that you do all the time. No. I, I, I've been out maybe three or four other times when I've been out in other places in upstate and out west and things like that. But rarely have I done cryptids, although I find them very fascinating. But you would say that this was a good learning experience for yes. you then, too. Especially being with people that have been doing it for a couple of decades. So um, these guys you know, have experience. They, they do stuff in... Uh, New Hampshire, Maine, uh, Vermont, and uh, northern New York and western parts of the state. So that, and they've been doing it for years. And this was their first foray into this area, and they were very impressed with the the way our woods are out here. And for the rest of the listeners that are outside of the southeastern Massachusetts area, you were thinking, you know, why would there be, uh, you know. A Sasquatch out here, this is, you know, really close to Plymouth, and isn't this where all of the civilization started on the East Coast spreading out? Mm-hmm. Well, if you've been here, you realize that th- this is a lot of, you know, woodland and swamp area. And number two, when the settlers that were here and spread out, they spread out in a, a wide area. They're trying to, you know, in other words, there were large patches that were basically family owned and uh there's a lot of you know space in between each of the settlements so it got thicker as you went further you understand where and, and there's been a lot of emphasis on conservation areas yes. as well because as we've grown uh because there is so much different types of wildlife around here and we've endangered a lot of it they have a lot of protection been, wildlife been protection very or management con- areas conscientious about that and so when you're you know, when you're taking these, if these creatures ever did kind of roam freely, you know, let's just say at one point they were as abundant as deer. And they were all over the place, and you could have walked into the woods at any given time and see them. You know, they're being closed up into these smaller areas, just like other creatures are. Correct. So, you know, just because you're not, you're not seeing them, it doesn't mean that they're, they're not there. Uh, w- one of the things that's always bothered me about it is that if they do exist, and they do exist enough that there's more than one in an area, then I would think that eventually when you have one of these sightings, eventually there's going to be a sighting that is going to be happening. You know, we see a moose will walk into the middle of a town. You know, elk will try to cross the Sagamore Bridge. You know, this has happened. uh, There's been a bear. The bear bear (laughs) that made it to Cape Cod. You know, these things happen. And so I, I just think that it's really strange that none of this has happened. The only reason I can think of that it wouldn't have happened, at least in my opinion, is that this, this creature has 
the intelligence and the rational thought to avoid it happening. You know, so it's not like just a wild animal is out there wandering around searching for food and it ends up crossing over the bridge or anything like that. This has to be something that knows enough that says, okay, it I know to stay away from now. Yes, is what stay away from these people and I know how to do it. Yes. Um, you're talking about, you know, it wanting to remain hidden. The only time it's really come across humanity is road crossings. That's what happened uh, with a couple of the cases in this area. Uh, the sightings were somebody almost ran the damn thing over running across the road. And in one particular case, a car actually hit part of it. And that's what the witness was talking about. It was crossing the road, trying to avoid it on one side. The other car coming the other way, it basically smacked into its hand and spun it around. And then it jumped off the road. And both drivers were like, what the hell did we just, you know, witness and hit? <laughs> so, and, and so the other question is, and I know we've talked about this before, but why hasn't there been the discovery of a dead one, of a corpse. You know, we talk about how you don't walk through the woods and find dead deer you know, most of the time. Sometimes you do because it's been recently, it's recently passed away. Right. But so what What would be the reason why you wouldn't find one of these if it does, if it is that size and it exists and it, and it has that type of, uh, of a mass? Well, one of the things is the amount of them that you find in a given area. Like I said, you rarely, I, I've only come across one deer carcass in 30 years walking through the woods, and we know there are literally thousands of deer in the woods. Uh, these things are far more rare. So, uh, And the other thing is, according to some of the researchers, they believe that these things bury their dead. Um, now, th on a side note, uh, you know who uh, Melba Ketchum is? She, uh, she, she's a... Um, veterinarian that was also that's also a geneticist works in genetics on animals and i've been uh friends with her for a bit and she's got physical uh basically biological material that i'm going to try and help her with some uh, genetics and dna testing on and one of the items she has is a femur that is definitely from something that's eight feet tall if you're to use the normal measurements and it was uh, found buried. So that's one of the other theories. Like I said, they generally are, are burying their dead. So it would take, you know, picking the exact right spot to, to unearth one and to be able to find it. Now, it, it's they mar if they can mark their way through the woods, I wonder, do they mark where they bury their dead like we do? Well, that's the interesting part. And uh, they... They found this burial under a mound, small mounds. Now, the Indians used to do the same same thing, the natives, uh, especially out, out in the Midwest, large burial mounds. And we, we've had them all dotted all over the East Coast here, as you well know, especially in the Lakeville area around uh, some of the lakes up there. So you, it, it begs the question, how many of them are Native American and how many of them could actually be this creature if it actually exists? And I wonder how, you know, if, if it exists and it's out there, then what is its lineage? You know, is it is it a primate? Is it is it yes. more closely related to humans than, than we think that it is? 
Yeah, so you think it's probably more of a, of a primate? It's definitely a hominid. Um, like I said, uh, talking with Melba, who, who has done a lot of genetics uh, on, on these biological pieces, her and I both agree that it's part, part of the hominid group. And it's not necessarily uh, the same lineage as human. We have a common ancestry. Yes, but it is not the same branch as us. It could it could be a surviving Neanderthal type creature that or has evolved. Uh, uh, I was going to say that just took a different offshoot, uh, correct. from where we came from. Correct. Uh, well, I mean that. I want to believe that this creature can exist. I want to believe that it's out there, and I, and I do think because there's been enough reports of it that I do think that it does. But I also think that at some point, you know, the, this mystery would have to be solved. This mystery can't go on for as long as it has. And let's even, I mean, how far back do you want to go in the reports of the sightings of it to say, you know, this is, you know, uh, day one of the first discussion of this creature, even if you only go back to the Patterson-Gimlin film. Just go back that far. That's only about 48 years, 1967. So go back that far. But you would think that in that amount of time, you would have something more substantial than what we have. Well, there... What do you mean by substantial? Just something more than, than uh, and, you know, we would have an actual video footage. I'm not saying we have to have a body in a freezer, but I'm just saying you would have uh, significant with more. some guts and one end right. to be sold by a charlatan. But, you know, <laughs> so, but I, you know, I'm saying that it would have to be something more significant than the glimpses that we've had over time. You know, and, and the, the defense that people always use is, well, you know, every time we go out into the depths of the ocean, we're finding new species that we never knew existed. Yeah, but that's in the depths of the ocean. This is on land where we are. This is a, We live in, a, in an age now where if they want to find you, they, you know, and I don't mean yeah. they as in the big feet. I mean they. The big feet. I don't mean that. I mean they as in, you know, big brother or whoever. If they want to find you, they can find you wherever you are. So how come none of this, you know, aerial surveillance or any of this stuff is picking up on these creatures roaming around in the woods? Well, they, as you say, are, are generally looking for specific things. Unless, you know, a Bigfoot or Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it, walks into a restricted area and is right. doing something, they're, they're not going to care. But uh, to add to that, the U.S. government, and in particular the military, have a wildlife guide that was actually printed in 1974 that it shows and tells the military that and soldiers that this is a creature that lives in, you know, this northwest area and stuff like that. And uh, I believe that the guide that they put together back then cost a couple of million dollars for the printing and everything. So the government doesn't exactly do stuff like that without... Yeah. Well, they also spend millions of dollars on toilet research seats. about toilet seats. Yeah. Yeah. But right. the, the reason why I ask that question, I'm, I'm not trying to, to crap all over the idea that they exist, but I'm trying to bring into it some of the other theories about there, that, the, that these creatures could be transdimensional, that they could be something that Extra-terrestrial, is... Extraterrestrial, because they've been associated with a number of UFO sightings, yeah. I mean, it could be that they're, they're blinking in and out of existence in this plane, in, or in this world. Elemental in a sort? It could be. I mean, I, I, all this stuff makes me go back, though, to the... And this is something that we always debate about every time that we bring it up. But it all makes me go back to the idea that what we're seeing in all of this paranormal stuff is really just 
again, I, I say it all the time, but our modern boogeyman. We're seeing our modern fairies. Whatever these beings were, the archetypes. It's just the archetypes that we've uncovered, uh, that we've been experiencing over many generations in different forms, and that because the way that we live now, what's left? Well, you know, what, 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 we have to have more technologically advanced boogeymen like aliens and UFOs. We have to have more. And what scares us more than anything? But thinking that, you know, there's something that's better at surviving than we are. There's many things better surviving than we are. I know, but we, 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 hate, we hate thinking about that. You know, we make jokes about the cockroach surviving a nuclear war because our existence is so fragile that, you know, it, it, it's, it's a shot to the human collective ego to think that there's another creature out there that could last this long in anonymity. And we, the almighty human beings, have not flushed it from the woods yet and been able to put it into a zoo and put it on display. So that's why, you know, we, we I, I think that a Bigfoot creature would fit into that archetype as something that would be... Uh, kind of our, I don't want to say a fear because we don't have an inherent, you know, most people who are researching them, they're not afraid of them. It's just more intrigue and interest in anything. But I think, and most people that encounter them aren't really afraid of them. Uh, but it's... Uh, a few occasions, uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I know, but I mean, uh, when they have the experience, yes, you're afraid of what you're seeing. But it's not like they're going out into the woods being like, oh my God, I hope there's no Bigfoot out here. Yeah. You know, it's not like an overwhelming fear. It's not like people who, you know, go out at night and refuse to look up at the sky because they're afraid of what they might see. Or people who are afraid to go into a haunted location because they're afraid of what they might encounter. So, but I, I think that this is probably... If we go that route to explain the paranormal, then Bigfoot and other type cryptid creatures fit right into that. Okay, yeah, I see where you're going with that. I, it it that does make sense, you know. Humanity is very fragile and they they don't like the unknown because it scares them. They they like their comfortable little uh known world. They don't prefer to venture out beyond it because let's face it, we we like to stay basically safe then we want that illusion of safety okay anything that's unknown is scary and i I think it was lovecraft that said the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown right and and the i mean the other thing too is that if this was to uh you know if this this creature was to emerge and was to be out there and and become part of you know our known catalog of of existing creatures What's going to happen to it from there? I mean, now if, if we say, okay, like it's 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 kind of, I don't, I don't want to use the term bad enough, but it's bad enough now with some of the people that you have going out into the woods. You know, we're going to go shoot us one of these things. We're going to catch one of these things. You know, that's bad enough right now. But imagine if we actually proved that it existed. Imagine if all these people that are out, out there looking for big game and are, are tired of going after all the stuff that they can find in the woods around here now have a new far more advanced creature to go out there. You know, you're going to have people out there in the woods taking shots at each other because they're trying to catch one of these things or shoot one of these things. And I'd, that would worry me more than anything. I'd rather it didn't get discovered if that would be the end result of it. Well, from what I've heard from a number of people that have had, you know, we'll call it close encounters with them, especially other hunters, the first thing that uh, they report is that this thing, if it wanted to to be menacing, there will be nothing you can do to stop it. It's right. going to get on you, and it's going to be a world of hurt if it gets a hold of you, and it has bad intentions. So, 
I mean, we could say the same thing for a bear, though. You know, well, a bear is different. A bear will attack you out of natural response and and stuff like that and territorial. This thing is calculating. Yeah, you can kind of outsmart a bear yeah. to some degree. The, this thing, uh, according to other people that you know have had guns and shot at it, it still kept coming. You shoot at a bear, it's going to generally hightail the other direction. This thing knows to hide behind a tree, and it knows to you know stalk you from a, a different angle. Even though you're shooting at it, it's it's still coming at well, you. Why am I picturing the last twenty minutes of uh, of First Blood? You know, the first Rainbow yeah. movie. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing right now. Something like that. Um, there's several cases, like I said, where people have had pistols or rifles, and this thing is still chasing them out of the wood. The people are firing in the air and, and, and stuff like that, but this thing's still coming. And it, it, it's making it a point to let these people know, I don't care that you have a firearm. I don't care that you're shooting at me. Get out of my get out of my woods. Get out of my area, and you know these mock charges. Uh, one of these guys that was firing at it said, "You know, I was firing, and if it wanted to, it could have made that last twenty-five feet from where it was to where I was. It could have had me, and it was just pushing me and driving me out of the area." So now, with that in mind, then what what are the types of precautions that you guys take when you're going up there today? What what was some of the steps that you took, or was it kind of just, you know, we'll we'll make sure that we're far enough away that we don't we're not trying to actually have an up close and personal encounter? Well, it was more of an investigation of the area. It wasn't necessarily a search for a Sasquatch. It was more of a fact finding mission. We went to the location where the individual had had his encounter. And we looked to see if the right amount of materials were there. And we found pretty much all of the items that they were looking for. And we can definitely say that biologically there's enough biomass for uh, something to live out there of that size. I mean, we even found, and I an- this answered that age-old question, if a bear does something in the woods, yeah, well, we found it. <laughs> so and, and- apparently they do. And you think that it's probably related to this creature? No, a bear. We found bear scat. Oh, so legitimately bear. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were kind of using that as an illusion. But bear are very rare out here where we're at. You know, they're, they're starting to make their uh, introduction back into the ecosystem down here. Which is, you know, awesome for us yeah. because, you know, we have enough trouble with the raccoons getting into our garbage and, you know, coming up into our yard. And, and I know where I live, we have a problem with coyotes. And the, the coyotes are becoming more of a problem because they're becoming uh, more docile. And the more docile they are, the more scared I am because that means that I leave the house in the morning and there's a coyote in my yard. And the coyotes out here uh, are a lot different than what they have out west. Out here, it's a mixture between coyote, wolf, and uh, dog. And so these things are uh, – most coyotes are the size – you know, you go up west or around around the western part of the state or up north, they're about the size of maybe a collie. You know, they're not all that large. Mm-hmm. These things are about the size of German shepherds. Yeah, see, the, the ones that I seem to see are, are, they're on the smaller side, and they're real scrawny. Like, they don't seem, and I know that they, you know, however they might eat, they, they just seem really scrawny. And they don't seem to be, you know, they're not pack animals around here. Like, it's, normally it's, it's rare to see one by himself. 
Yeah. Here, I always see coyotes by themselves. Like, it's very rare that I see more than one at a time. Except when they used to have the ones that lived in the, the rotary. You can usually see them traveling together. But, you know, whenever I, like, if I leave the house in the morning and there's one in the yard, it's just the one. And there's no other ones around. So I know that when he shoes, you know, it's okay to put the dog out type of thing. Yeah. Uh, the game warden that I, I know that's been collecting, you know, the dead ones, he said that these are definitely some larger size that, that they've been seeing as of late. But still, are they still scrawny, or they, do they have, you know, uh, Yeah, they're skinny, but it's the long legs, mm-hmm. you know, height-wise is what I'm talking about, not right. not so much width, but they're, they're taller than than the average coyote, if you understand what I'm talking about. I do. I'm just, I'm wondering, uh, you know, if... I mean, I'm sure a lot of it is the fact that we have, first of all, human beings are disgusting. We make a huge mess, and there's litter and crap everywhere, like literally. If you ride down the road, you know, you can see we throw fast food wrappers out the window, and, you know, we leave all kinds of things around that are going to draw them closer to us. And then we complain when they come out of the woods, and we say, you know, what's going on? It also draws the things that they chase and eat. Right. You know. Uh, yeah, they're like looking, the they were looking for those raccoons. And, yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I have, you know, my neighborhood is weird because I have all kinds of different creatures. You never know what you're going to find. And I know you live on the island of Dr. Moniz where you've actually <laughs> experimented on some of these things. But, you know, I don't, I'm not as isolated as you are. And I shouldn't be in a position where, you know, I'm, I'm walking out of the house and there's this and there's that and there's this and there's that. Like, uh, the, the weirdest thing was when the harbor seals ended up in my pond. Yeah. That that's strange. Yeah, well, because it connects it's to the salt water, and they, yeah. but they came all the way up through the narrow neck, and and they came into the freshwater area and stranded themselves a couple of years ago because they they didn't want to get back into the water, and so that's you know it happens, and it's it's just weird, and and I see you know kind of it seems like if the if the natural world was like planning a comeback, they're doing it now. You know, they're they're having these meetings at night when we all go to sleep, and they're making plans. You know, they're, George Orwell could have written the story. They're making plans of how to take back the farm <laughs> because, because they're all over the place now. And it's, Watch know, out for the pigs. And like for, we we we've been talking about this for for a long time. Uh, you know, kind of off the air ourselves and and joking around with our friends and everything. But when we grew up, well, at least I don't know when I grew up. I don't yeah. know. You're a little bit older than me. I don't remember ever. Ever, ever seeing a turkey in the wild. Ever. Yep. And now I can't They're leave my house. Loaded in terms of their population around here. And, and it's ridiculous because not only have they come back, but they think they've taken over. Yes. A lot of people talk about, oh, I want to go turkey hunting. Around here, turkey hunting isn't hard. You can hunt one with a golf club in your front yard. Yeah, you know how I hunt <laughs> for turkeys? I open the car door and then I hit Thanksgiving dinner. Because they're right there. I mean, I, I and they, they'll come right up to you. They're ridiculous. Because I, I I work in Lakeville, okay, and and I'm I'm leaving work the other day. Uh, what was the day that it was raining? Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. Veterans Day. It was raining, and I walk out the door, and right as I walk out the door, there's a pack of about twenty turkeys, and is it a gaggle of turkeys? Yeah. And so there, there's all these turkeys all walking right there, and like they're not even moving out of the way of the path. They're you know, like pigeons now. Yeah, exactly. They, and they, they're not moving. They're, they're walking around. They're making that horrible sound. And they, they had no intentions of getting out of my way. And then if you decide you're going to chase the turkeys out of your way, 
you know, you're the jerk because you're like, leave the turkeys alone, man. Oh, all these years we never saw turkeys. Now they're coming back. You're going to chase them around? Yes. Get out of my way. <laughs> if, because um, let me tell you. Let me tell you a little first. How many is, accidents have they caused? People no trying kidding. To, yeah. We have signs on my road that say turkey crossing. They're popping up all over the South Coast. But here's here's the, the, the funny thing about it is. Take it from me. I have experience in this regard, okay? These larger birds are jerks. Geese, the turkeys, and especially swans. A swan is nature's biggest a-hole. You don't have to tell me. I have a nesting pair that right outside my dock every year. Yeah, we got we got them in our pond. And if you part of the reason I don't go swimming is because I almost ended up in a fist fight with a swan, because we're in the you know we're in the swimming area. And the swan is coming closer, and I'm like, all right, well, the swan's going to come over and see what's going on. That's kind of cool. And he comes in, and just the minute he came into the swimming area, he went on the attack and chased everybody out of the water like we had no business being in his water. And everybody got out of the water. We're standing on the and we're standing on the, the beach. And then he comes up the beach. He came up the beach. Yep. I'm like, no, get back in the water. We we gave you the we gave you your natural habitat. Leave us alone. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, I think we're at war with the large birds. I, I, I blame it all on one thing, ostrich burgers. Until we started making ostrich burgers, the big birds left us alone. But now that we decided that we're going to start eating them and turning them into delicious burger patties, they've decided that, you know, now is the time to rise up. Rise of the birds. I'm screwed when I go home, by the way. I don't know. I'm going to pull up into my driveway at like 2 o'clock in the morning and open the door. And they're just all going to be standing there. You know, the the, the swan's going to be standing there, like, holding a bat in its, in its wings, like, you know. Yeah. Like something out of a mob movie. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm glad that you were able to, to uh, get out there with those guys today and do some investigation for it. And, of course, we're going to have them come on the show sure. uh, somewhere down the line and, and get more in-depth in some of the discussion about it. Because I want to find out about not only... Uh, why they think that there's so many more of these sightings around here now, but you know, just uh, some of the things that the listeners can do if they're out and about to look for them and to to be able to to report them and build up even more of a database of some of these sightings. Because you would ask me when I was doing the library lectures in October to ask around, and people were, you know, nobody had really that I encountered had had an experience, but they were very interested in the fact that other people in the area had. So, and you got to remember a lot of the early reports in the United States about these things started in this area. Well, of course, we're talking about the earlier settlers. The Indians had, or natives have been talking about them around here for thousands of years. But uh, if you go back in mankind's written history, I'll give you a, a good example. The tale of Gilgamesh, okay? Inkadu. Are you, are you familiar with mm-hmm. the character of Inkadu? Mm-hmm. What was Inkadu? He was supposedly a a large, wild, hairy man that was over eight foot tall that was, you know, uh, a warrior that that was used in battle. So he's not just uh, not just my Saturday Night co-host, is what you're saying. Uh, we always, we, hey, listen, if there's a missing link between us and them, it's you. Yep. So, uh, you know, when, when we do... And, and people have asked us before, they're like, oh, oh, you guys really need to put together like a Bigfoot Legend Trips event. Well, no. Because what are we going to do, just go stand out in the woods? Well, they want to do it. 
Why not? Yeah, but at least with the paranormal, uh, paranormal. At least with the ghost investigations, uh, we have the equipment that we can use to kind of document it. What, what, what are we really going to do when we're going out looking for these? I'm asking. I'm not. I'm not making fun of them. I'm asking you, like, what's a? What's you want to know what's scary? If you're talking, you know, doing the hunting for them, it's the same equipment that you use in the ghost hunting and, and UFO hunting, cameras and recorders. You know, so an EMF meter may not necessarily be as applicable out in the field, uh, but, you know, the cameras and the recorders most definitely. Here's the way I look at it, though. What's the biggest problem that we have on Legend Trips events sometimes uh, with with actually conducting the investigation portion of it? Getting everybody to just stop and sit and be quiet and wait. And what would be the main thing in the Bigfoot investigation? You'd have to stop and sit and be quiet and wait. And it would it would literally just turn into like four hours of shh, shh. Did you hear that? No, quiet. Twig snap. No, I can't hear anything. All I can hear is you whispering. That's what it would turn into. So I don't know. Well, maybe we'll look at it down the line as a way to be able to to put it all together. Well, we're coming up on the end of the first hour. However, uh, we still have a whole other hour to talk with you, and you can give us a call at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. But speaking of turkeys, I want to let everybody know that tomorrow will be the first annual Turkey Palooza uh, being put on by Odie's Place. It is a nonprofit animal shelter being built in the city of New Bedford. Uh, they are in the process of gathering all the money that they need to, to see that come to fruition. But in the meantime, they are working to help people, uh, pair people up with dogs that need a home uh, through uh, in-home adoption and, and things of that nature. So they're holding their first ever, uh, first annual Turkey Palooza. It's happening tomorrow from 12 to 4 at the Ponderosa Sportsman's Club on Robinson Road in Akushnet. Their goal is to raise 100 frozen turkeys for the homeless. Uh, if you could bring down a frozen turkey uh, to the Ponderosa Sportsman's Club in Akushnet tomorrow between 12 and 4, that will help Odie's Place with the first annual Turkey Palooza, and it all goes to benefit Pace Incorporated. So these turkeys will be distributed to needy families and to the homeless uh, this holiday season. So when I talked to Brian Harrington of Odie's Place earlier today, he said they were about halfway through their goal of raising 100 turkeys. They're probably a little bit over that now, but they still need your help. So tomorrow, you know, if you're going to go out and do the shopping, I know a lot of people are probably going out and doing Thanksgiving shopping tomorrow because they're not going to wait. They're going to want to make sure they have enough time to leave the turkey out to thaw and to get everything ready. So you're probably shopping this weekend for your Thanksgiving turkey. Pick up a second one. Bring it on down to the Ponderosa Sportsman's Club tomorrow between 12 and 4 to help benefit the homeless. Uh, because, you know, really, when you look at all the different things that you have to be thankful for, one of the things that you can really be thankful for in this area is the great people and the great organizations that have come together to benefit those who are in need. And, of course, Odie's Place is doing that. As much as they're doing work for the dogs, they're really also doing work for the people because they're bringing these dogs into people's lives. And they do a lot of other fundraising and and volunteer opportunities with other organizations. So it's not just, you know, hey, we're doing this to benefit us. They're always finding a way to outreach and to work with other organizations in the community. So kudos to them for that and give them the help however you can. It's a good cause. It is. It absolutely is. And, and if anybody is looking for a dog, uh, odiesplace.com, O-D-I-E-S, odiesplace.com, you can go and check out the website and find out more about how you could adopt and, and maybe be a foster parent for a dog that's looking for a home. And Brian always has great success stories of some of the dogs that they've had come through the program, and including ones that he's brought into his own home. So uh, you can talk with him as well. 
if you want to find out really how it all works and, and, and some of the great success stories of it, he can be more than happy to share for you. He's brought some of them into the studio in the past. So if that's why usually if somebody's allergic, you know, they'll, you, you'll yeah. know because you'll know when Odie's place was here because they'll walk in and they'll be like, oh, somebody had a dog in here recently. And the dogs always steal the show. It's radio. <laughs> and the dogs still steal the show every time they Kids come. Kids and animals. Yeah. All right, well, that about does it for this hour. Again, uh, we're going to take a break for the news. We'll come back with more paranormal talk. Coming up in the next hour, uh, one of the things that we can talk about is the JFK assassination, tomorrow being the anniversary. And every year we always touch upon it a little bit in some way. And, uh, of course, we can take your calls, your theories as well. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. I also want to talk about some other paranormal topics as well. Myself and Moniz will be here, and we'd like to hear from you as well. And if you've ever missed any of the shows over the last 10 years, you can always go to SpookySouthCoast.com and download the podcast. I know last week's wasn't up. I apologize for that. I downloaded it in sections from the equipment here at the studio, and I missed a section, and I did not get back here until today to be able to get that missing section. So I'm going to do a double upload this week. So you'll get both shows, uh, both last week's show and this week's show, and they're all free. They're all up there for you. So we'll be back in just a bit. Stay tuned for more Spooky South Coast on WBSM 14. <laughs> South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and a little bit of a programming note for all of you Ghost Asylum fans out there. Tomorrow night it moves to its new time slot, Sunday nights at uh, at 9 p.m. So if you've been watching it on Friday nights, now the new night is Friday, uh, Sunday nights at 9 p.m. So uh, certainly... Some of the uh, these are some of the episodes that I've worked on, and and certainly some of the most unique locations that the Ghost Asylum guys, the Tennessee Race Chasers, have been to. So tune in Sunday nights at nine o'clock on Destination America to catch new episodes of Ghost Asylum. And you know the idea being with Ghost Asylum monies is that they're trying to trap a ghost, they're trying to catch a ghost and put it, bring it from a haunted location into their containment system that they have built. Uh, as a way to now they they have all the basically it's a Faraday cage they built. I've seen a few episodes. Sorry, I should turn that mic on. Yeah, I've seen a few episodes. Yeah. So the you know that's the idea behind, it. and that, it it made me wonder that what if we tried to do that with some of the ghosts around here? What if we tried to you know some of the things that we've dealt with over the years? Can you imagine trying to take the stuff out of Lizzie Borden's and bringing it somewhere else? Yeah, we, I was going to say, where are you going to bring it? We'd get our butts whooped by whatever is there. So and I know that you've been uh, you've been over there a couple of times recently with some of the stuff that's been going on and yeah it seems like uh, I don't know it seems like it's getting more intense over there we'll say the activity has definitely been picking up over there um, 
poor Leanne. <laughs> She's, I mean, she lives there. She has to deal with this stuff on a daily basis. Um, and when it starts affecting where she lives out in the barn area and affecting, you know, her her pets and uh, uh, taking things out on her employees, makes things difficult. And uh, I, I can respect that she's getting a little bit frazzled. And uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the nature of that place. You and I have been there a number of times, Tim, and you can verify when that whatever's going on there decides it wants to let itself be known that it's not happy, but it'll she's, do so. She's always been of the approach of, you know, I don't let it bother me too much, but it seems like she's getting bothered by it more and more. In other words, yeah, it's targeting her. Yeah, Generally, it's and I think that's the difference. Yeah, before it was kind of like, his, you know, she has kind of a macabre sense of humor. <laughs> so I think before it was kind of like she almost took, like, delight in the fact that her house was freaking other people out right? and not her. And and now that it's actually freaking her out, it's a, it's a different ball game for her. So. Yeah, it's become personal. Uh, like I said, I've been over there a couple of times, as you know, in the past few weeks. And the stuff that's happening is... The, I, I want to say it's deliberately doing stuff that would get under her skin yeah. because it's things that's close to her, and it's like she's taking it personally. That that kind of thing. Which you know, when your house is haunted, you you tend to take it personally anyway. But for her, it was always you know, it, it, and it's almost like I wouldn't say that she didn't believe in it because she see she she it's certainly her own experience. Yeah, she certainly believed in it, but it was almost like even though she was there every day and it was around her, she was able to still keep it at a distance. Yeah. You know, she had kind of built up this mental wall and she was able to kind of keep it at that distance and, and it decided that, you know what, I'm not really going to respect that bounder anymore. And uh, the, the biggest problem is, though, is when people are going there, you know, and I would never say that people don't stay there, it's unsafe, because certainly it's a great time, it's a great, you have a, ghosts aside, you have a fantastic experience when you spend the night there. So I would never say to people, like, don't don't go there. But I would say to people, you know, just make sure there's somebody else. Don't be the only one in the building. Uh, <laughs> for, for Just for your own safety and just because nobody's going to believe you with some of the stuff that could happen to you. So you need to have somebody else there to verify it. Uh, so that's uh, certainly something that we'll keep an eye on, especially now in the, you know, in the wintertime when... There tends, you know, it's not a full house every night. There's usually only a couple of people staying there in the wintertime, and right. then they close down for a while. Where you know Leanne's working on the house and yeah, getting doing everybody. the wallpaper, the painting, and the trim, and all. Of so this. it'll it'll be really interesting during that time to see how much it not only increases, but how much it targets her, because she will be the only one that's all around there all the time too. So, well, as you know, that's also the time I like to go and spend time in there by myself, right? But, you know, or maybe a handful of other. Yeah, we get with it. we'll be over there. I'm sure numerous times over the course of the winter, uh, and especially this year because I'm working on trying to make something happen with Maplecroft. Really, but we'll get into that later. I don't want to speak. I don't want to talk out of school on that just yet. But th- there's. I the, know it's up for sale. No, it's been sold, and there's oh, a new has- owner, and she is uh, very much it's hoping. Be a recent sale. Uh, in the last uh, in the last year, um, it, but she's become part of the Fall River community over the last couple of months. I mean, she's still is kind of doing the back and forth, getting everything ready. But uh, the 
she has an eye on keeping it or on restoring it to the, the same way that they restored 92 Second Street. So she's looking to kind of rest- do the same type of effort yeah. in that. So it, you know, it might take a while to get it right, but she's starting the process now. And, and I told her, I said, well, if you're starting the process, this is the time we want us to come in there. And document if something's we're, happening. We're the ones that have the connection with, with the spirits. So uh, we'll see if we can make that happen as, uh, as it gets closer. We'll let everybody know. Has, did you talk to her about any activity happening in the place? I did not talk to her much at all. Okay. So we haven't really gotten into anything quite just yet. Just kind of a, an introductory thing through, through our, uh, our mutual friend, Frank Grace. Okay. And uh, we'll take it from there. We'll see what happens. All right. So in one of the other things that I want to do over the course of the winter is I kind of want to, because supposedly the ghost arc is now in the mass production phase. That's, that's what the reports are that have been coming out from the ghost arc folks that they're starting to get ready to fulfill those orders. So it's only a matter of time before uh, I get my, you know, beta test model or, or what have you. So uh, I'm actually going to follow up with them this week and see if we can find a little bit more. But one of the things that I want to do is I want to get in there and try and be the first or amongst the first to get in there and be able to start building the... Because the, the, as part of the Ghost Stark, the software that they use will store on, store on the cloud all the results yep. of each investigation. So I want to be able to get there and get some of the first Lizzie Borden investigations up there for people to check out because I, I can imagine that the people who get it, it's going to be one of the first places that they target to go and try it out. So I want to try to make sure we can already have a database built up. So it might even be a matter of, you know, a couple of times a month just over the first you know, just through the winter, we might go over there. And I'd just, love to put it through its spaces. Just do some stuff. And and what's interesting is uh, Nick Roth is getting one as well because they'll be utilizing it on his new television show that's coming out next year. And so if he's around, and because they're going to be filming and all kinds of stuff, going all over the place filming and promoting, but if he's around and he has his ghost arc and we're around, we have our ghost arc, I want to see if we can get together because then you have two of the same device and then you can kind of... You, you know, you know how it works. You, oh, wanna, yeah. you always want to duplicate the experiment with the same equipment if you can. That's what I do all day at work. I work on instrumentation that's supposed to be testing the same things. So if it works on this one, it should work on that one. But the also the other idea of doing it is I want to bring down some other people as well and try some different approaches at the same time that we're using the Ghost Dark. So one of the people that I've reached out to and talked to about this is Danny Roberge, the creator of EchoVox. And we're going to have him come down. You know, he's a New Hampshire guy. We're going to have him come down, and he'll check it out with us too and see, you know, how his stuff works and how his his software works in comparison with some of these the stuff with the Ghost Ark as well. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to some actual investigation and experimentation as opposed to really just now getting out there and, and doing the Legend Trips events and everything. It seems more like, you know, we're... It's it's something new. It's it's something new to try and figure out and try and wrap our heads around instead of just going back and doing the same thing. It's great when we go there and we have all these different experiences, but I just like having a new you know a new toy to play with more or less. Well, uh, when I was there on Halloween, having that drawer open again that that was an interesting experience. And what's really weird about it is, I know for a fact that the drawer was closed when the last person was in that room. Because that, that's what I keep looking at, because where, where I was standing, saw 
the person who who rented the room. She went in to go grab one of her recorders or something. She came back out. When she came back out, I noticed that the light was still on in the room, and I'm looking at that uh, end table. Yep, the drawers closed, and everybody else that was staying in the house was in uh, Bridget Sullivan's room, and the uh, one of the docents was giving her story about up there. And I looked over again, and lo and behold, the drawer was open. And I think that's one of the things that people don't realize until you become an investigator that frequents a location again and again, is that when we walk in there, there's certain things that our attention is automatically drawn to. Correct. Because we know that over time, this has been what's proven to happen. So, like, every time you walk into the chimney room, you know to look at the at the toy chest. Yep. You know, every time you walk into, I don't know, I mean, what's some of the other ones that you look for in there? Um you know, certainly you're, you're, when you're sitting in some of those rooms downstairs, you're watching all the inanimate objects around the room because so many of them have been reported to not only move but kind of haul ass, too. Yeah. So you're, you're keeping your eyes peeled for that. Uh, so it's almost like when we're there, it's, it's almost like it's a waiting game. Yeah. Because we know that something probably is going to happen. So, you know, we're going to focus in on that stuff right away. And... I, I can always see it when we bring people in there. We're going to actually be setting up dead of winter in the next coming uh, next couple of weeks, and I can see when people go in there for the first time and they want to know what you know. Get this whole house. Why are you sitting there focusing on that? And it's one thing if you're an investigator and you keep going again and again. You're trying to have the same repeated results. You know, it's like okay, well, the last time we were here, you know, the the refrigerator door opened on its own. So we're going to go back there and we're going to just watch the refrigerator for eight hours and see if that refrigerator door moves again. You know, that's different than what we're doing at Lizzie Borden's. We can be like, all right, we know that that refrigerator door is going to open. You know, it's not let's hope and see. It's kind of like it's going to happen. Yeah. Just if we're going to, it's just whether or not we're going to be here when we see it happen. Yeah. You go down the basement, you know, you hang out there for long enough. You're going to have that thing that walks around down there. You know, it's going to peek out at you. And it's, it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, we always take people down into the basement and we have them take the souvenir photo, the yeah. ghost photo, where you take the picture over the basin down there and you get the face and right. the wall. We always tell everybody to take that picture then so that they don't come back to us later. I just go out of face in the basement. So when we do that and we show them that, you know. And for the, those that don't know, it's just a, a trick of light and shadow. It's, a, you know, the common thing called pareidolia, seeing mm-hmm. an image where something Try, the mind tries to recognize. And, and what do we always tell Leanne every single time we, we go there? Like, don't wash that wall. Don't paint it. Yep. You know, <laughs> this is, this is kind of like your Blarney Stone. Don't Just don't mess up a good thing. But um, we do that, though, because we want people to know that it's an anomaly that will happen. You know, it's, it's, yep. not, it's not anomalous. It's explainable, but that it's going to happen. But it's almost like some of the other activity we can almost guarantee could happen just as much as that does, you know? Like, if you're there and it's quiet enough and there's nobody else around, you're going to hear something. Especially the footsteps. There's never been a night that we've been there alone that we haven't heard something. And what was it? um, When we were there this past summer, we were with a small group. I remember uh, Alicia was there. I'm trying to think of who else was there. I think Christy was there. And we we were just... Conducting an investigation. I think we were there because Leanne had asked us to come down. Andy? Yep, Andy was there, yep. And I think it's because she was having problems and she yeah. wanted us to come check it out. And 
even as we're sitting there with all the different devices that we had, we could hear things. Yep. We we heard footsteps. We heard whistling voices. And, and voices and singing. Yeah, and and that's it's it's always seems to happen. So. Sounds like a good commercial for Dead of Winter. I wish I already had the date set up so we could tell people how they could go to legendtrips.com and they could get their tickets. But you can go to legendtrips.com and sign up because when we do this, when we put it on sale, we always put it on sale in pre-sale first. All of our events go to our mailing list first, and they get first crack at tickets. Now, when we do an event with 50, 60 tickets, it's not so much of a big deal because those people will get the first crack, but then there's always tickets that go on sale to the general public. That doesn't happen with Dead of Winter, with any event at Lizzie Borden's, because we can only sell 25 tickets because of the fire laws. Then when we put them up there in the pre-sale, they usually go in the pre-sale. Yeah. They don't make under it. Under a week. Usually in a day, a yeah. day or two. And so, and these are people That's who under have a week, isn't it? been there. I'm just yeah. putting more urgency on it. And these are people who uh, go back again and again. And, yeah. You know, it's not like somebody's like, oh, Lizzie's been there, done that. You know, people are waiting for the chance to get back in there at, in one of these events. So if you go to legendtrips.com right now and sign up for the mailing list, when we do announce it, you will get first crack at tickets. It's sent out to everybody all at once at the same time. Everybody that's on the mailing list. And you will have your opportunity to get in there for this. And it's unlike any other events that take place there. You know, it's it's the Spooky South Coast, Cro- Spooky South Coast crew, Jeff Belanger, Andrew Lake. And we bring in some of the unique equipment that you can't find anywhere else. I would think, I know I've been promising this for like a year now, but I would think that by the time we get to Dead of Winter, I should have the Ghost Ark. So we would have it there for that event. We do have the... Uh, the um, uh, the SLS system yeah. uh, that uh, Bill Chapel has uh, has been putting out there. We have one of those that Jeff brings with him to all of the Legend Trips events. So there will certainly be some unique items for you to try out and check out for yourself. Maybe you're thinking about buying a Ghost Ark and you're like, eh, let me see how it works first. Or maybe you want to get an SLS and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to spend $1,000. Let me wait and see. This is your chance to try those out. So sign up now at legendtrips.com, and we should have more information about that, uh, I'm hoping we can actually get it planned out this week because we got to figure out Odd Fest too. Because uh, Jeff is out every, I mean, he's booked. He's got stuff going on like crazy. So we're actually, we were talking tonight, we think we have to do Odd Fest on a weeknight. Really? Just, just because of the fact that he can't, you know, he's, he's booked on the weekends. Make it a Friday. Well, I think that that is part of his weekends because, you know, he's traveling usually. But I think we could probably pull off on a Thursday night. We could probably get away with it because nobody really gets too hammered at Oddfest. You know, it's, it's, it's not like we drink to excess. We, we, just, we have a few drinks. We have some good time and some good conversation. And, of course, it's all for a great cause. We always uh, collect toys for needy children. And uh, we work with the Charles uh, Gilmartin Foundation, which I think we'll be doing again. Charles or okay. Foley Gilmartin. Yeah. I want to make sure I get it right. I'll... I'll, I'll get it right. But we um, we will be working with them again, uh, and we'll make sure that uh, those location. toys, uh, we were working on that. We needed a date before I could find a location. So once we set the date, then I'll try to find the location. I was pushing for the same spot as last year. That one I, worked out all right. I thought it was cool. Jeff kind of was talking about maybe we could move it somewhere else geographically to make it so that people don't have to travel. You know what I mean? Like one year these people travel, one year these people travel, kind of move it around. But I do like the fact that it was right there in a hotel so yeah. you could get a room if you wanted. That's kind of what I was thinking, but we'll we'll figure it out. And then, of course, again, Odd Fest is free. It doesn't cost anything to come hang out with us. However, we do ask that you bring a toy, an unwrapped toy, 
for us to to uh, make as part of the donation. And last year we got a nice letter from the hospital that was given to the foundation that they sent us a copy of it. And yeah, you know, it, it, it's not like these other drives where you put it in a bin and then it goes to another collection bin. You don't know who ends up with it. Like the, the foundation actually goes out and hands these toys out to people uh, to kids in the hospital. So we'll uh, we'll definitely have some details for that coming up as well. All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we'll reset on the other side. I want to talk about JFK a little bit. But one theory that we haven't really explored a lot on this show, and it's come up briefly, but I want to talk about the connection between JFK and UFOs and what that might have to do with why he was assassinated. So we'll get into all that coming up in just a bit. We'll also take your calls at 508-996-0500, Back with more Spooky South Coast in just a moment here on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. Welcome back. Tim Weisberg with you along with science advisor Matt Moniz, Spooky South Coast, where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Broadcasting live on New Bedford's New Sox Station, 1420 WBSM, as well as on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and rebroadcasting on Art Bell's Dark Matter Radio Network. So many different ways to catch the show. Of course, uh, the podcasts have been going 10 years strong, just about 10 years strong as well. Uh, thank you to all of you who have downloaded those. And if you've missed any of the previous episodes, there's 10 years worth of archives waiting for you. All of it free. So you can't go wrong going there and downloading it, checking it out for yourself. And one of the episodes you can check out is actually the episode we do with Grant Cameron, who is a UFO researcher who focuses heavily on the connection between U.S. presidents and UFO information. And, of course, Grant being Canadian, <laughs> he can get away with it. But, uh, no, there, we, we had a great conversation with him talking about, uh, you know, um, Dwight Eisenhower and UFOs, uh, talking about some of the Kennedy connections with UFOs, talking about uh, Gerald Ford and UFOs, Jimmy Carter having an actual UFO sighting, Ronald Reagan and UFOs, which a lot of people don't realize how involved Reagan was, which, by the way, just a, a weird little side note, if you don't watch Fargo on FX, which <laughs> if you're not watching it, you're wrong, it's a great show. It's it's more, probably one of the best programs on television right now. And this season, the second season, so much better than the first. And the first was great. But this has just taken the game up a whole new notch. But uh, part of the recurring theme is because it takes place in 1979. Part of the recurring the theme flop. is not only that, but Reagan um, running for president, too. So they've had UFO sightings in the episodes. And they've had Ronald Reagan different mentions of it. And in a recent episode, they had Ronald Reagan stopping in the town that it takes place in, uh, Laverne, Minnesota, and he was played by Bruce Campbell. Oh, God. Which was actually, Bruce Campbell did a great job, which also leads me to a side note. If you don't have stars and you're not Ash. watching Ash vs. Evil Dead, yeah. uh, just rent, just get stars for the month. You know, because it's worth it. It's it really is. I mean, just what a what a blast that show is. Have you been watching it? Been oh yeah, it, his uh, sidekick there is rather comical. Um, it, it's actually a pretty good series. And I, I mean, I would love to see it be you know something that happens every year. I'd like to see multiple seasons of it. And when you think about it, it's, I think it's a six episode season, so it's more or less it's just a you know three hour Evil Dead movie, which yeah. I'm fine with getting a new three hour Evil Dead movie every year. Sure. 
And uh, we were talking about it the other day, and it's like, it's like all the best parts of Evil Dead, but with the Army of Darkness attitude. So it, it but makes no it Army more. of Darkness real references to it, though. Not well. Yeah. yeah. No. Not really, but uh, there's still some episodes to be seen. So okay, we'll see what happens. Uh, um, one of the um, the other things that we're going to be talking about here on the show, because I realize you know we do have a huge portion of our audience that are horror fans, so we actually have a friend of ours, Casey Horror Lady. She's going to be giving us horror movie reviews each week that we will play on the show. These little pre-recorded horror reviews that we'll play on the show. And then I think the plan is maybe like once a month to be able to bring her on live for a little bit and and talk to her and have a conversation. But generally, you know, she's going to be giving us reviews of both current movies that are out, but also some ones you can catch on Netflix or, or on cable uh, if you're looking for something to watch one night. So that'll be something that we're working in. I'm also trying to find some of the horror directors that are out there because there's a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers, short filmmakers who are putting out horror content that... You know, it's very hard for a horror movie to get released on a major scale these days. And so, you know, we want to kind of put a focus on some of the independent filmmakers that are working in the horror field because they're the ones that really keep horror alive. It's whatever. Yeah. The paranormal activity movies are going to come out all the time, that type of stuff. But it's really the indie people that are keeping the genre and keeping the interest going. Let me uh, talk to Todd Sheets. He, sure. You know, he's well-connected in that. Eric. Well, I mean, I'm just saying anybody out there that works in that can just contact us, too. Like, it, you know, I kind of just want to throw it out there and let anybody that wants to do it do it, too. So, you know, you, you can just email me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, if you're working in that. It's not going to be anything. You know, not, we're not going to be holding, like, big screening parties. But, you know, I just kind of want to pick people's brain and find out what their influences are and where they're coming from. Because, uh, trust me, as a writer, it's one of the hardest things to come up with. How can you scare people in a new and different way? And really, you can't. That's why people go back to the well all the time for things. So that's why I like those who are willing to take on that challenge. Uh, so well, we can see. But you know who Todd Sheets is really connected with? All the zombie strippers that are in his movies. If he yes. wants to get, you know, give me the number of some of those, I'd be more than happy to call them, too. But uh, that's a whole different type of show right there. Yeah. So I, before we uh, run out of time, we have about 15 minutes left in the show. And again, 508-996-0500. 877-996-1420 are the numbers if you want to call in and share anything. But I, I want to talk about this uh, connection with the JFK assassination because it's something that we really haven't covered over the years. We've hinted at it. We've kind of touched upon it a little bit here and there. But when you talk about the different conspiracy theories that are out there as to why Kennedy was assassinated, and we can start with you know the lone nut theory, of Oswald, we can go into the magic bullet part of that, all of that stuff. We can talk about the CIA connections. We can talk about the mafia connections. We can talk about, you know, just within the internal workings of the government, uh, you know, Lyndon Johnson, all of that. We can get into all of that aspect of it. But one of the things that we haven't really talked about is the fact that 10 days before he was assassinated, Kennedy wrote a memo asking for all of the UFO files and demanding that the United States military work with the Soviet Union in researching and, and reporting these UFO, this UFO information, uh, mainly because he was worried that with all of the UFO sightings that were happening, especially over the Soviet Union, that the Russians were going to think that it was the Americans attacking and counterattack before they even knew what was going on. 
That actually was a legitimate concern because they did have a couple of incidents where they actually had to, you know, pick up the bat phone and call each other and say, no, that's not us. Mm-hmm. And and there was, you know, enough that there were two, actually two memos that were sent, but there was one 10 days before uh, that some people feel might have been what made whoever pulled the trigger say, you know, we have to do something. We have to get rid of this guy because he is pushing for this to happen and too much is going to get out there. Now, it's it seems crazy when you think about it. It seems crazy to think that they would eliminate a United States president, a very popular United States president, over the idea of visitors from another planet. But if this would lead me to believe that if these beings were coming down here or were visiting or there was some sort of knowledge or, or setup, that it was definitely a military strategic advantage for the Americans, which means that the, I would guess that the Soviet Union was not getting the same type of attention from these beings that the Americans were, and that the powers that be over, you know, over Kennedy, if that makes any sense. But no, it does. The, the, they were the ones that were concerned that, okay, now we have to share these secrets with the enemy. It's not so much that they having to share the secrets with the president or, or anything like that. They didn't want to have to give this information to the enemy, which means that they felt like they were at a strategic advantage, which, first of all, to me seems like, we're just, I mean, if these beings are intelligent life, don't you think they'd be playing both sides? Do you really think they would like be choosing one over the other? Right. And so, I'm sure that the Russians were probably getting the same information that the that the Americans were as well. But it just leads me to believe that um, you know there was a lot more of that involved in the process than what we know of. So th- that was a much bigger. There was more at stake in terms of the UFO realm than we ever previously imagined, if you get what I'm saying. It's, Other than just the technology? It's not just a matter of have we have a crash shipped from Roswell. You know, this goes into something that we have a, a lot to lose here if we have to share this. Well, the Russians had their crash recoveries as well, um, the ones at uh, Kaputin Yar and uh, Vladivostok and several others. So do you think that it's possible then with this memo coming out that this could have been the impetus for them to assassinate the president? This was this could have been the reasoning behind it? Well, Marilyn Monroe, uh, who we all know was involved with Kennedy, told a friend of hers, um, Kilgallen, that uh, he was highly interested in this and she thought that this was one of, not the sole reason, one of the reasons why he got basically taken out. Well, I just, I think that the timing is very interesting, and what he was asking was very interesting. Now, we've heard other presidents ask for all of the information, since we do have a call on the line, we're going to get to that one second, but we, we have heard that there have been other presidents that have asked, you know, famously Clinton asked, um, Obama has asked, you know, these, they've asked for the information. But they've been told either bits and pieces or told, you know, you don't need to know that. Yeah. So, but, you know, they haven't been taken out over it, which leads me to think that whatever it was, and you can read the, the memo for yourself, it's available online. It came through with a Freedom of Information Act request. It leads me to believe that Kennedy's vision of how to utilize this technology, utilize this relationship, uh, certainly went against what, if I have to pick a they, 
maybe the military industrial complex, complex. you know yes. maybe that's the they but if he had to it, it, it seems like he was in direct conflict with what their plans were right in other words he was going to affect their pocketbooks right and he was going to want to share this information with all of mankind and i know there's a tendency to kind of put too much altruism on kennedy you know because he was assassinated but I would think something like this, at least in knowing what we know about the man, this would be something that he would say belongs to the people of Earth and not just the people of the United States. So I can understand why they would feel like no matter what, if he got this information, they weren't going to be able to contain it. They weren't going to be able to, you know, talk him into considering it a strategic advantage not to share it. Especially when you think that this could have been what ended the Cold War. If Kennedy had this information... And they gave him, they released everything that they had to him, and he read it over, and he said, all right, now I'm going to call Khrushchev, and I'm going to talk to the Soviet Union, and we're going to share it, and we're going to figure all this stuff out. Wouldn't, like, the problems that uh, you're having with each other suddenly become pale in comparison when you're talking about this, you know, this idea Didn't of... did Reagan say that a couple of times? Yeah, that, you know, it has less to do with the problems of us and more to do with the fact that, well, now we have either, you know, this this great benefactor coming out of the sky or this great threat coming out of the sky. But either way, you know, our problems are no longer significant, and we need to work together. Well, if you, you're familiar with Alternative 3, the book and the movie. Uh, like, yeah, we had talked about it before, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that they were talking about, that Russia and America had already made an agreement about, you know, ETs and stuff like that, and this Cold War was more of a show. You know, for you know the people and a way for them to build up their their stuff, whether that's true or not. Like I said, that's just a book and a movie, but right. But I mean, uh, some of the best stories are told with a with an element of truth. Uh, we do have a call on the line five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. If you would like to call in, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey, I'm here. Hey, sorry for the wait. We were oh, uh, don't worry about just it. kind of riffing a little bit there. It's all good. You know, it's kind of funny. Now that I've heard that Bruce Campbell has actually made a cameo in Fargo, I think I'm going to have to watch the whole show. <laughs> oh, you definitely do. And you can start with season two if you want, because uh, the stories are connected, but you don't have to see season one to, to get into season two. You know, on, on a side note, I met him on two different occasions. The guy is absolutely hilarious. He, he He's exactly how he is on screen. I've heard that about him, yeah, and I, I'd love to have the chance to meet him. I've been pushing for Rhode Island Comic Con to bring him in for years now. Yeah, I, I don't. I guess maybe. Well, it was around the time he released both of his books, so I guess he was doing the book tour thing. So, and he's got an but, open invite anytime, Bruce. If you're listening, anytime you want to come on, we'll give you the whole two hours. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> Ratings would probably go through the roof. We'll see if we can make it happen. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was I was thinking of something else, but you guys started talking about JFK, and um, you know. That, that's a very interesting theory about the whole UFO issue. And, you know, I, I guess it would be one thing, like, if he hadn't just been this, like, agent of change. But, you know, if it was just him in this whole situation, why did they have to shoot his, why did they have to assassinate his brother, too? You know, it, it, it almost seems like there's something so much deeper behind the whole 
situation than than anything else, you know. And, and I think there's an element of truth to what you guys just touched upon. Well, I mean, I've always looked at it as, you know, you say, well, how come they took out both Kennedys? I've always thought that the most obvious answer to that is, uh, you know, revenge. That because Joe Kennedy had made such uh, so many enemies in, in what he pulled off to get his sons, you know, in the, the positions that they were in and, and, and the favors that he called in that weren't repaid, you know, because it's yeah. like, especially the mafia angle of, hey, you know, help him get elected in Chicago where we need some dead people to cast some votes and they get him into the White House and then all of a sudden the first thing they do is they go after the mafia, you know, so yeah. Yeah. I can understand kind of where that revenge factor would come from, but if if Kennedy knew anything about anything, he was telling Bobby and so that made him just as dangerous uh, and what surprised me more than anything is they waited, if, if there is a they, and it was all planned out, that they waited until Bobby was on the campaign trail for president himself before they took him out. You know, he would have thought it would have been something that would have happened a little bit sooner. Well, and he, and he kind of came out of nowhere, too, I think, from just, you know, talking to various, you know, you know relatives and whatnot that were alive during that time. You know, uh, I think with the, the whole Kennedys, I mean, you know, they've obviously had such an impact on you know, here locally, but, you know, on a national level, it was just, I don't think that, you know, maybe just people weren't ready for it, but, you know, it's too bad because he, he definitely had this air about him that was this young and, you know, up and coming and just trying to bring, you know, I guess a different way about things of politics, you know, but, um, you know, something else that I was going to bring up was the, interestingly, was the, you know, some of the Reagan encounters that with the ufo and i remember reading or seeing on one of the uh, maybe a television show about reagan having an encounter when he was actually governor of california you know and um it's funny when you watch that speech of his when he talks about you know uniting uh, globally under you know a threat from above or i don't remember how he actually phrased it it just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere you know like we made that coming up with this you know it, it, it was just it's so intriguing, you know. He made that speech on three or four separate occasions. That's not one speech. He he said it yeah, he the same thing three, three or four times, yeah. actually. Oh, well, yeah, I just learned something very nice. Though. But, I mean, it, it's still, it's just, it's very intriguing that he, he, he said it, you know. Well, I mean, it's... To it's have the, you know, president of the U.S. to do, do such a such a speech. It sounds like it's a good time to bring Grant, Grant Cameron back on, so we'll have to work on uh, doing that and, and bringing him aboard and, and getting, because I remember when we had him on, I think we only had him on for an hour, so we really just scratched the surface of what we could get into with some of this stuff, and now, of course, with Obama administration, too, uh, there's even more to add to the story, so we'll, we'll look into getting Grant back on the show, e even with his busy schedule. He's, he seems to be booked every weekend, but... You know, I've ne and uh, to touch upon something you guys brought up about earlier, I've never been to the Lizzie Borden house. I really need to feel like uh, I, I really feel like I should, you know, go on one of these upcoming events or as something you guys may have coming or someone else has coming up there. It's, it's really intriguing to hear about this place. Uh, we do. I mean, we certainly do, and it'll be coming up in February. That's when we usually book it, and then uh, we, we get everybody a deep discount on the rooms uh, for people that want to book them. But you know, it's worth just going there and staying for the night too, especially in the winter when it's a little bit slower and you can kind of have the place to yourself. Uh, nobody said that because you rented the room, you have to actually sleep in it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Well, that was the whole point between uh, with the legend trip that uh, he was a salmon. Well, maybe he used oh. Sorry, the computer's going out. Computer's firing off on its own. Yeah, okay. Am I still here? Yep, you're still here. Okay. We have about one um, minute left. 
you know, I got a uh, up and coming event I'm going to at the uh, Westerly Rhode Island Library. I've heard a lot of decent things about it. I'll be interested to oh, see this what's down there. The uh, Dustin Parry lecture with the Taps Home Team. I believe so. Yes. Yeah, that should be great. I ho- I'm hoping to have Dustin come on uh, in the coming weeks too, and and we'll have him come on to promote that. You know who's a character I'd be interested to see go to the uh, Lizzie Borden house would be Ralph Sarchi and his team. Oh, and we're going to have Ralph on soon, too. I'll, I'll mention it to him because he's not that far away, so maybe we can get All him right. to come up. Very right. good. Well, thank you very much for the call and for the suggestion. No problem. All right, have a great night. Thank you, guys. Bye. That about does it for this week's show. We'll be back next Saturday. I'm, I'm still trying to get Ralph. The guy's so busy. And it's like all of a sudden, because the show is now on, Demon Files is on TV, he's getting like legitimate cases that he has to go out and do. So that takes precedence, obviously, yeah. over sitting and talking to us on the phone with the work that he does. Uh, but we will get him on. And I would love to invite him to come up to Lizzie Borden's. And, uh, you, you know, I, I, I could just see him walking there and, and, and facing the thing that we face all the time. And he could let us know for sure what he thinks, uh, whether or not it's a demon. So we'll... Uh, We'll definitely pose that question to him because he is just a short right away. And we'll, we'll buy him some good pizza. I know it's not New York pizza, but, Ralph, you can give it a try. All right, well, that does it for this week's show. Until next week, stay spooktacular.